Hey everyone, welcome back to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, mother? <laughs> I'm excited to be here. I hope everyone listening to this episode has checked out our previous episode on the great Gaspar Noé because this episode right here is going to be a direct extension of that and we're going to kick it off. When we recorded the Gaspar pod, we both had not seen his latest feature film, Vortex, and you had not seen Lux Eterna, which is his 51-minute-long, very experimental art film, and I had seen it, but you hadn't, so we kind of glossed over that in the pod, and we promised that we would be back for a mini-episode on Vortex, and this is that episode, and since then, you have seen Lux Eterna, so we're going to talk about that first and complete everything Gaspar here. Direct extension, baby. (laughs) Direct extension. Exactly. We're going to carry it over because... I never, it it didn't sit right with me that, you know, we weren't going to talk about all of them that episode, but we were together and it was a really good opportunity to talk about those core five films that are, you know, still just as extreme as ever. We really appreciate everyone who's tuned into that Gaspar episode and we hope you enjoy what else we have to say about him. So let's just jump right into Lux Eterna, shall we? Oh, we shall. Good, good. We also didn't get to see this one together or vortex that would have been really cool to watch it together but oh. i guess we've only seen i stand alone mm-hmm. and climax do we ever check that one out together uh no we've never seen climax together so we've just seen i stand alone i That's think that- hilarious actually <laughs> it's actually really funny <laughs> where i was like standing over your shoulder <laughs> half watching because i've seen it so many times lux eterna again this is very experimental it's an art film Gaspar was commissioned by the fashion house Saint Laurent to make this, which is why everyone is dressed in such fantastic clothes and they have great bags and they have sunglasses on, all that shit. They made this in 2019 very quickly. He shot it in March 2019 for five days and it premiered at Cannes in May, just a few months later. He shot exactly. I don't know how he does this. He shot it using multiple cameras because he knew he wasn't going to have a lot of time. And then he decided in post to utilize split screen. And because he had shot so much different footage, he's like, how am I, I had three, four cameras going, not even all of them real cameras. Some of them are like, you know, kind of handheld on purpose. So I don't have a lot of time to edit and this movie's not going to be that long. So how do I get to see a lot more of what we shot? Okay, let's use split screen. And one of the main reasons we're talking about Lux Eterna as well is because this split screen narrative is so important to Vortex. And this is his first time really playing with it in an extensive level. So what is Lux Eterna about? There's an actress. Charlotte Gainsbourg, whose name is Charlotte. Every character name in the movie is the first name of Mm -hmm. the real actor. (laughs) And it seems like she's preparing to film a very climactic scene for her new movie in which she's going to be playing a witch that is burned at the stake. And there's a long split screen conversation with Charlotte and a famous French actress, Beatrice Dahl, who it's not really clear if she is the director of this film within the film. We're not really sure. But once this conversation is done and they're talking about, you know, filming scenes, bad directors they've worked with, good cast members. Uh, if you've ever shot a scene in which you're burned at a stake, <laughs> and you're like, what the hell is going on here? Once that conversation is done, we spend several real time minutes watching this set, this movie set, barely function amidst constant fighting, uh, star fucking, technical <laughs> disasters, emotional breakdowns, unagreed upon nudity and scenes that'll make sense when you see it. It's just complete and utter frenzy the moment that conversation ends. It's like a good 40 minutes of downhill, chaotic frenzy, and now we're seeing double it. It's not just like irreversible where we have one horrific screen to look at, now we get two. So how'd you feel like entering this world into Lux Eterna? <laughs> I, I loved every second of this one. Oh, yeah. Th- this, oh, I'm so glad to th- hear it. This one was just, it was a treat to watch from start oh, to really finish was. because it had all of the Gaspar isms i suppose uh it had all of his familiar traits it had his personality all through it it's actually very cool to know that the split screen was discovered post right it was not planned yeah yeah Yeah. and and i think i mean we'll get into it more but i think that 
that makes sense with the way that that movie came off with the split screen mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. Vortex was a little bit different in that way. You know, yes, that you, we will talk about this. You're right. Vortex is often showing us the same exact scene from two angles yeah. that aren't even that far apart. Like they're often right next to each other. Lux Eterna, they do that in that first, for that the first, first conversation. One, yeah. Yeah, that first conversation. And then we split and we're, you know, following different characters who are in completely different rooms. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And with Lux Eterna, I, I think for the most part, it worked. Oh, yeah. There, there were a couple of times where you you did want to have your focus on one or the other but there was something going on in the other one that you did want to kind of go to but you didn't want to leave what the like commotion was there was dialogue going in one and the other one was more just sort of visual chaos so mm-hmm. i think it was a little tricky to kind of know as an audience member which one to give your attention to but at the same time that was not at all uh, a bad thing. Correct. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily yeah. either, but I can tell when you, if you do what we did and you like watch Lux Eterna and then you go to Vortex, in Vortex, he's very good about you can stray over to this right frame if you want to, but the main action right now is going on on the left. Yeah. And that's what you primarily need to focus on. Not to say the right isn't important. I'm including it because I want it to be in your peripheral. And then sometimes that switches and it's like, all right, now the right is important. Sometimes in Lux Eterna, they are equally as important and you're kind of bouncing around. And the first time I saw this, I went, well, I'm definitely rewatching this movie and just going to focus on one side the whole time. And yeah. Yeah. Not a bad thing, but definitely uh, stimulation overload a little bit. Shocking for a Gaspar and Away movie. <laughs> I know, right? You know, and I gotta say that opening conversation between Charlotte Gainsbourg and Beatrice Dahl, that may be one of my favorite conversations dialogue-wise Gaspar's had in any of his work. Yeah, and he didn't write a word of it. It's insane. Yeah. It's all improvised. It, it, it felt very real. It felt like two actors talking and not that pretentious kind of way that you might see actors talk. Right. They're just talking. They're actually more just women mm-hmm. talking about their experience. That That's more of what that seems. I think that's why it works. It's like, yeah, you, you could that could be any occupational backdrop. And two women are talking about what their experiences have been. And this was just happened to be in the film industry. But I, I like savored every word watching Char- Charlotte Gainsbourg is so cool. She is, she's like the epitome of cool. And yeah. here she's playing, you know, clearly they're having fun with playing versions of themselves. Yeah. But she's, she seems a little like nervous, like, cause this scene that's being built up that they're talking about, you feel all that tension in her. And yeah, with like the leather jacket, the hair, she's just, she's so effortlessly cool. Yeah. I love her. I love her in everything, especially yeah. in including this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's so cool because she is like, you know, one of France's like main leading actors Mm-hmm. And she's never really worked with Gaspar in 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 one of his bigger movies, so it's great right. that like actually like everyone who was in this like oh my god I got such a kick out of seeing Abby Lee in this oh it was great yeah well let's okay let's oh, yeah, yeah let's get into it let's actors into it. here because according to Gaspar he wanted to work with Charlotte Gainsbourg for this specifically and he was trying to reach out to her people the way that the whole thing's done and he heard that she was nervous about working with him which oh. I found hysterical since she was an antichrist melancholia <laughs> and nymphomaniac for Lars von Trier I mean the director's cuts of nymphomaniac are a combined five and a half hours total so the fact that she was intimidated by Gaspar's 50 minute short is just it really says something about his reputation that's very not true him as a person not him as a person but the kind of movies he makes and I I'm sure a few dozen people vouch for him to her and was like yeah, no go do this and where I don't want to say where the movie ends and where it arrives but it rests on her and she was given full carte blanche to go however far she wanted to that's not directed by gaspar that's not the way he directs he goes there you are uh give us whatever you want action and it's just it works so well she fits into his world so well i would love to see her in a feature i agree quick side quest here if we're talking about two crazy ass directors between lars von trier and gaspar noe which which one do you have a harder time with their movies, like in terms of like the audience experience? It's a good question. It's a whole damn podcast, honestly. Yeah, honestly, um, yeah. One, one of their movies each, Irreversible and Antichrist, you know, I wrote an article a while ago, like what are 
what are some great movies that you never want to watch again? And I only had two. It was Irreversible and Antichrist, because at the Uh. time, I had only seen them once. I've since broken those rules and gone back to them, but those were so assaulting to me. However, Gaspar Noé's films do not really come from a place of hate. They come from a place of intense curiosity about the way people behave when they are in incredibly extreme situations. That's what he's motivated by, curious about. Those are his exercises. Antichrist, however, comes from a place of intense, horrible depression, which Mm -hmm. Lars von Trier has been very open with. This is medicated depression. This is depression that has made him hospitalized, suicidal, all that terrible stuff. And when you watch Antichrist, you feel that. That movie feels like it is coming from a place of pure and utter hell. And he says that's one of the most fun movies he's made because he was working <laughs> through his depression the whole time. Oh so I don't, I think there are some things in Gaspar Noé movies, in all of them, that leave you with a sense of love, if not longing. I think all of them have moments of slight tenderness. Not I Stand Alone, actually. That one is probably, we can cross that one out. But all of them, you can see Gaspar's heart, even if it's playful. Lars von Trier, I mean, you can say that for a lot of his movies. Breaking the Waves, Dancer in the Dark are so longing and so fucking brutal in their just emotional attachment. They're, oh my God, they're perfect, perfect movies. But I mean, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit because I guess I can't make a clear delineation. It would be... You know, Von Trier also has made substantially more movies. And, you know, he got into like the Dogma 95 thing, which is very grainy. Uh, You don't use lights. It had all these, you know, kind of fun rules of stripping away all the aesthetics of cinema. And Gaspar seems to like the toys a little too much to do that. But I don't know. I think um, I would say as a whole, Lars Von Trier's filmography would be harder to stomach. I think like the house that Jack built would be a harder movie to show people Maybe even the irreversible, because at least with the irreversible, you can go, there's one scene to get through. And once we clear that, we're done. It's just heaven for 45 minutes. Not like heaven, but it's there's nothing yeah. bad that happens. That's it. House that Jack built is a you're just a train <laughs> literally barreling down to hell. I mean, Antichrist, holy shit, that thing's only getting worse as it goes on. Not all of his movies are like that, but you know, I mean, irreversible has one rape scene, Dogville has like 20. But none mm. of them last nine minutes. So I, I don't know. Dogville also has the slaughtering of babies. So you know, <laughs> take your pick, folks. Take your pick. I'm not making a joke. I'm dead I know, serious. I know. It's just funny. Babies that ordered to be slaughtered at the hands of Jimmy Con. Oh. and and it's a great movie, folks. Jimmy Con. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you said it best. I think I think there is something. Well, about- I said enough. Jesus, sorry, everyone. I <laughs> like went for so long. It's it's honestly it's a great fucking question. It is. And, and, and Lars is someone where it's coming from a little bit more of a personal place. And Gaspar Just does. Just a personal hell. Yeah. yeah. And Gaspar movies really, as is, is, is they go to that hell, there is, it, it, it even feels like there is a bit of distance from the filmmaker to the material that you're watching. Like there's a, it's not that close, even if we are being presented with crazy uncomfortable stuff well they're both yeah. so heavily influenced by tarkovsky Bergman, yeah. so they're they're drawing their inspirations from a lot of the same places but we all have different life experiences which informs our art uh, not only how we make our art but how we view other people's art so that and you can see right there like we talked about this a lot on the Gaspar podcast, like good childhood, great relationship with his parents, married to the same lady. I mean, I don't know as much. I don't know as much about Von Trier. I only know what he's told us, but that's that his current living situation is just really, really tough on many, many occasion. And he will often use his films to work through that. But, you know, they both have made very good. They both have made movies that feature very good roles for women. Oh, yeah. Women that, you know, maybe haven't even been better than they have in their films. They both like to work with actors you either don't see a lot or actors who haven't ever worked, which I really appreciate. I mean, Emily Watson's first ever role is Breaking the Waves, and she was nominated for it, and that's her best performance. And I love Emily Watson. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's crazy. They're both really, really good. Lars von Trier, um, his movies, if we're talking me personally, I prefer Gaspar because Von Trier's movies just, there's, you got to really kind of reach out for stuff. Like when we were doing Gaspar, we're like, there's, listen to us, everyone, there's humanity in each of these movies. <laughs> and we do believe that. I mean, we were really, we were really on it because we, we were passionate about it and we believe it. But 
trying to find like humanity in the house that Jack built is pretty tough or even antichrist like it's yeah. pretty tough and i i think that's because they are deliberately they're they're being stripped of humanity like the whole thing so all that i don't know every von trier movie kind of feels like irreversible to me ah <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's an easy way to sum up my thoughts yeah it, you you definitely know what you have you have to prep yourself before you go into either one of those movies as yeah. an audience member yeah back to lux eterna that was fun though I that mean, was a nice it's, little side it's very fun to like yeah go down and then and I'm about to mention another director here who I make a lot of comparisons to Gaspar because Beatrice Dahl, she was the blind woman in Night on Earth. She mm-hmm. is in Time of the Wolf by Michael Haneke, who that's who I compare to Gaspar a lot. And Haneke, his films are very like very forlorn, very foreboding and, you know, cold and detached. He's not having a lot of fun with like pop music and stuff. This is not what he does. Inside is a hell of a horror film, not for the faint of heart, starring Beatrice Dahl. And then You in the Night, uh, directed by Jan Gonzalez, the score of which is by M83, Jan's brother, Ooh. Anthony. We mentioned that yep. way back on our favorite soundtracks pod. God. And then, I mean, just to <laughs> fill out this cast, we have Carl Glausman, who's yes. playing, I assume, a version of himself. They would have worked together on Love. And his role is like, he's he's the premier stereotypical L.A. douchebag just coming into this set. And I assume they're filming like in Paris and he just won't leave Charlotte alone. Yep. It's like, I think it'd be perfect for, you know, he hasn't directed a feature. He's just written a script. And if we get you attached, we'll get funding. And he, in, in the worst possible times, he's trying to get her attention. Oh, God. And then, as you mentioned, Abby Lee, who's playing a version of herself who's going to be in this movie. And she's great. I love that she's giving it right back. She's like, this is not what we fucking agreed on. Nudity is not my contract. And you know it. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love that she gives Carl shit for bothering Charlotte. Yep, she's like, yep. this isn't the time, you, Carl. You Jesus. know better. <laughs> There's a moment there that I I thought, like, really kind of, like, e- explained the craziness of sometimes how this industry can be is because she's basically wearing a very very cool stylized outfit but like you know her like she's completely topless in it you can see through it yeah you can see through it and she's just like going through this crazy hectic you know chaos going to get like something to eat at the craft table yeah. And then there's dudes everywhere and and Carl just kind of like looks at her and he sees two things. He sees one, he sees a topless girl, but then he also sees like in a in like a switch, you can see it. Oh, here's an opportunity to get her in my new movie. Right. And exactly. And, and you it and all of this just makes no sense. Like no, it's not, not the all. way that humans behave in any sort of way, but yet it's normalized in this industry, which in a weird way, I, I kind of thought that this movie really summed up a lot of the female experience in a movie set. Sure. It seems like that's kind of that that's where I took it. I, I kind of was like, this is really just all about what women go through because all the guys that are represented in this movie are either idiots yep. or they're <laughs> Like, like the two old guys that are like trying to like flip flop directors, get her fired because I don't like her. So there's a power exactly. dynamic that's at play. And then the really the only guy who's actually just trying to do a good job is the DP. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I, that was one of my because we talked about Gaspar in that main episode that he does. He is very funny and it is not a sense of humor that I would call anything less than very, very dark. But yeah. He always injects humor, and that DP is just so furious at the way. Like he's like, "No, I want to direct it." And for a while, you're like, "Who is the director?" Then you realize it's Beatrice, and she's just like a tyrant to him. He's a tyrant to her, and there's all this crazy shit going on. But it is supposed to be funny. But their argument is what creates all this tension. It's like, wow, just imagine if they got along and could agree on this one shot, then everything would just calm down. But they can't. They're just yeah. lunatics. Just lunatics. <laughs> Everyone's funny. going crazy. You get like all the people in the makeup room that are like, this is just a disaster. <laughs> yeah. But the your notion of this is how it can feel on set for a woman, like what happens to Abby Lee, how she's being fitted for wardrobe and she's in what she's in. And they're kind of like, oh, but they th- they really think you look better in this. Like, oh, this is OK. Yep. And then you see it happening like before her eyes, like she doesn't. Wait, wait, so I'm putting this on now and that now, okay, now it's on now on topless. Like what? This isn't fucking fair. Like, 
I mean, we know that shit happens all the oh, time. Yeah. Hopefully not as much anymore. Hopefully not at all anymore. But yeah, we've heard countless stories like that. And you don't, and it shows so well amidst all the other chaos, how she like kind of blankly and blindly is like, wait, what? And people, she's not even putting it on. People are putting it on for her. Like, no, no, darling, darling, this is great. And then she's leaving like, wait, this isn't right. But they're ushering out of the door. Yeah, it's again, it's amidst a bunch of frenzy, but he's still showing you poignant stuff to like yeah. hold on to. And this and, is how it is. And the the mother aspect for Charlotte, who oh, like, yeah. Oh, like yeah. gets a call that her kid's been like basically hurt at school. Bullied, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's coming from like a phone call that's just like, I need to make sure my kid's okay before I go out and do this crazy ass witch burning. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so I that that was kind of where I went with it. And again, it's not necessarily that's not at all like specifically what the director is giving us, but that's how I took it. And I loved it. I love that that was the ride I went with. Yeah, because he keeps stacking on the chaos because like when the movie begins... And that long conversation ends. The only real tension there is like, wow, she's getting ready for this really tense scene. And then fast forward like 30 minutes as she's now she's finally starting the scene. And there's so much more weight on her. She's got the phone call about the kid. She's got the onset, quote unquote, journalist who won't stop pestering her. She's got the weirdo creep actor director from LA who won't stop pestering her. There's all this nonsense. She's got the PA who's like, we have to get you to set. Oh, no, I need to have this phone call. Like it's all this frenzy going on. And it feels so real that by the time she is actually up on that cross about to be burned and her hands are bound and she can't move and she flips out and that all feels very, very well earned. And it's awesome. (laughs) It it is. It's, this would probably be the most accessible Gaspar experience that I think I could give to somebody. We talked about climax being that, even though this is a short, so maybe it doesn't really fit into that. If someone were to ask me, all right, show me a Gaspar, I'd be like, I would start with this one. Be like, all right, if you can get with this. Well, yeah, there's no violence, sexual There's no violence. That's why. So it is an easy thing to take. Not necessarily those last five minutes, which I'm not going to give away, but you know, when the movie, if a movie opens with a very big warning that this film is going to feature strobe lights, just yeah. take that warning seriously because this thing is going to, you know, it's leading up to one of those infamous long Gaspar endings where you're just strobing out or spinning out or whatever it is. He's going to hold it for a really long time. But yeah, this is definitely accessible. It's never like gruesome. It's It, it was designed as a very experimental short film. Yeah. What? All right, so we, yeah, without saying what that end is, what was your experience with that? Well, yeah, that's <laughs> just a lot of fun because. So the thing is, this is a this is a great question because right now Lux Eterna is playing in one theater in Washington D.C. It's where I saw Vortex, landmark E Street Cinema. Love it. I have an art. They have an article framed by me, still up in the lobby. Love it. Really. All. Yeah, I swear. Oh, I swear. Wow. I love it. It's my favorite movie theater ever. Saw Shame there. I've seen so many. Oh my God. Met Woody Harrelson there. A real delight, <laughs> I must say. If you're, you know, not surprised to know. What was your question? What the, was so, you, Oh, yeah. what's that? So, but they're only showing it at midnight. So it starts at 11.59 and it's like, it would, it's going to take me as long to get there yeah. as long as the movie is and then as long to get back as long as the movie is. But this is all by answering your question. There are going to be some poor, sad folks. We'll go into that screening, uh, let's say not sober. Let's yes. say they'll be in a different state of mind. I think the fact that they're showing it at midnight, I think they're uh, maybe even encouraging that a little bit. And it, depending on what state of mind you're in, if you just sit there in a dark theater and watch blue, green, and red strobe lights for 10 minutes, I don't know what the hell you're going to be like when you stumble out of that. So yeah. I, when I watch it, I watch it at home. Just, you yeah, know, it wasn't, yeah. that was the only way for me to see it. And I'm like, okay, okay like he, here it comes. He, he has these very long endings on purpose. This is a, a huge point of conversation for me for Vortex because you need to use those endings as end credits because he doesn't have end credits. So like if you're watching Lux Eterna in a theater at midnight and you've just seen 10 minutes of strobes and then the house lights boop and come up, you're going to be like, you're not going to be able to walk. You're not going to be able yeah. to see. And I'm saying if you're sober, 
older. There are going to be a, a few people in there who are uh, not. And I just, part of me wants to go just to see those folks. And like Just I don't try know. to walk and, but, out. Yeah. And, but, oh God, it would be crazy. But watching at home, it's definitely like, I mean, if you're going to stare at the screen the whole time, you're going to be put in some damn trance. Those strobes are really intense. It's intense as hell. Yeah. I watched it just from my computer screen. Oh, yeah. Like there was like a, there was a part of me that wanted to resist it. And because because it, it's sort of like one of those things where it's like, OK, it's happening, but you don't know how long it's going to go. But right. then I realized I was watching a Gaspar Noé movie and I was like, <laughs> OK, this isn't going to end anytime soon. So I'm just going to settle in. And, and once I did, it, it was awesome. Like, I yeah. really enjoyed it. <laughs> you have to, like, hold on. And there are certain people who cannot take that. Yes. There are certain people He's who can, like. seizures. I mean, yeah, like, that. well, that's a real, uh, of course, of course, like epileptic, you, you shouldn't be watching this. But there are just other people who don't have that condition who uh, it makes them very uncomfortable, which yeah. of course is Gaspar's intention. I mean, Irreversible ends with a few strobes. Climax even has that long fade to white and you're kind of strobing. Enter the Void has strobes. It's Yeah, that's uh, part of his thing. Love has lasers pointing like right in our eyes. You know, he likes strobes. No strobes in Vortex. It's an emotional strobe. Ugh. <laughs> Let's round up Lux Eterna yeah. here. I do have a question for you. I think you've already answered it. Do you think it would have been cool to see like a 90-minute version of this or like an 80-minute, just like a feature-length film? I think this could have been like, this could have gone two hours. Yeah, I think I, I, could have, I, I could have sat with however he wanted to do it. If he wanted to sit with a little bit more of like building it up, like that conversation in the beginning, or if we just wanted to spend more time in this craziness Right. That of of this chaos, I I would have been game for a full length feature, no matter what length. With this one, I wonder how many more of those director's quotes we would have gotten in a feature. <laughs> I oh read an interview God. where the interviewer was like, "Why did you include those quotes?" There's he will occasionally just cut to these massive quotes by Carl Dreyer, Jean Luc Godard, uh, Fassbender, Bunuel, and Gaspar immediately goes, "Oh, to be pretentious." It's like, that's the only reason I want to do it. It's an experimental short film and I wanted to be pretentious. So, cause the quotes are kind of pretentious and it's like, it was yeah. so funny. It's just, uh, it's so him, but I, I want to end our comments on Lux Eterna by just dishing out a few words of appreciation for actors and crew members who take short seriously, because yeah. even though this is 51 minutes, it's right up there against a feature. Like there was probably some pressure along the way for him to turn this into a feature. Like if he doesn't have split screens, and we're just seeing that footage one at a time, right there, you're already going to add like 10, 20 minutes. It would be a much slower paced movie, but he could do it. And I like that he just stuck to his guns and he's like, no, it's a short, so whatever. And he took it seriously. Everyone involved took it seriously. This is one of Charlotte Gainsbourg's best performance. Like, go go watch it if you like her work. And I know a lot of people do because she rocks. You know, there's an interesting conversation about short films that we have had with many people, ourselves and people within the industry of the difference between a short and a full length. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of camps that, that people will stick by, is that one could argue that this is not a short film. Right. Because it functions like a full-length feature, it moves like a full-length feature, it just happens to be under a time limit. Even There I Go was like that, 30 minutes. It was yeah. like, this is a short that wants to be a full-length. And I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that, but there is an argument that a short film should just be a certain length of time that has a beginning, middle, and end and services a story as a complete short narrative. I think both work when they're done correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, there are shorts that leave you longing like, okay, that's definitely intended for a feature or to be a feature because, yeah. and then sometimes we see that we see, I mean, whiplash, great example. The short is yep. that one scene. And then that he made that to specifically turn it into a feature. And then, yeah, some other shorts are just complete packages and from beginning, middle to end. And yeah, both can be messed up very easily. Both can be successful. Uh, not easily <laughs> yeah. with a lot of work and a lot of dedication. And the hardest thing about shorts is that there's literally no market for them. There's, there's no none. way to sell them because they don't play in theaters unless it's, you know, a midnight showing at a Washington DC theater, which people definitely will not be inebriated for in any way. I didn't want to slam that theater at all. <laughs> <laughs> you almost, you almost have to be a director of a certain name or following to where that short will get any type of eyes on it. It won't make any money. That's for sure. But you'll get an audience like PTA when he did the, um, 
the music video with Tom York. Oh Am my I right god! I mean, well, they well that's exactly because he's a name, and Radiohead yep. and Tom York are names. They can put that on Netflix. Most of Ex- us don't don't have the uh, <laughs> the yeah. luxury of putting our short films on Netflix and then being like in the number one or you know that top ten list. That's complete bullshit. But yeah, just being bumped there. But that's like I I, I love that fucking thing. Oh my I god, I've so seen good. that. I've watched that thing so many times. Ah, alrighty, here we go. We're gonna enter into the void. And work our way up to Gaspar and Away's sixth feature film, Vortex. After filming Lux Eterna, Gaspar had a massive brain hemorrhage, nearly died. He recovered, he got sober, he got a bit more humble, these are all his words, and he made Vortex. Vortex is, early in Vortex, we see that Gaspar has dedicated the film, quote, to all those whose brains will decompose before their hearts. When I saw that, oh my. Yeah. En- enter the void. Abandon all faith. This is a movie about an aging couple in Paris dealing with the woman's all-encompassing dementia. The main thing, as we've mentioned here, the main narrative device is that this movie is pretty much like 95% of it is split screen. One side focuses on Dario Argento playing a man only known as Father. The other side focuses on Francoise Lebrun, only known to us as Mother. And it's not like one owns the right side and one owns the left the whole time. That's kind of the fun of it. Sometimes it switches and you don't even notice and you're like, holy shit. But as we watch these split screens, we come to notice that he cannot help her, even though they live in the same small Paris apartment, not really small. It's a big apartment. It's just crammed and crammed and crammed with shit, books, movie posters. He's a film critic. It's beautiful production design. It's so lived in. They're like 88 years old, but he cannot help her. She cannot help him. They can barely help themselves. We meet their adult son and he has a lot going on in his life. He has drug issues, mental issues, baby mama issues, kid issues. He is not perfect and he is in no, and he is in no position to take care of Ma or Pa. So that's what the film is. We're watching these two older folks dealing with this terrible, incurable disease and go through all the stages of it. They are in denial about it. Not her. It's mostly... The father who's in denial about it and then trying to deal with it. And not a lot of time is passing. We're spending long, long scenes with them getting out of bed, trying to make tea, starting their day by writing. So when we were introducing our Gaspar Noé podcast, the very first thing you said on that podcast was you were not afraid. You were not afraid to watch these movies and you were not afraid to speak about these movies. Quote, you have to approach a Gaspar Noé movie without fear, end quote. Tell me how you feel about those words now, having seen Vortex. I stand by those words. You have to. Um, And I did for this. And I guess I'll start by saying that I think this movie was fantastic. I think it was was a supremely, supremely well done movie. And I'll talk about all the things I liked about it. But This was probably the hardest movie I have ever had to watch. Mm -hmm. It it Mm -hmm. was, I almost walked out of the theater, not because I didn't like it. I mean, it's hard to say like, like, because like when you're put through such an emotional experience like that. Appreciate is a good word for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but it was hitting chords that I was like, I can't. But I, I, I didn't want to leave. I did. I didn't. I wanted to. I, I trusted this filmmaker with my emotions. He, 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 he did it to me. You used the word earlier before we jumped on mortifying. Mm-hmm. It was a mortifying experience for me that I've since had to block a bit in order to kind of. Function. I went with a friend of mine. When it was over, I said, We need to go out in public. We need to go out and I need to see people having fun. I I need to see couples. I need to see friends. I just need to see life happening Mm -hmm. in in a positive way and, and, and to at least cool down from this movie. I've never had to do that. 
I've never had to make an active decision to go out into the world seeking levity in that way from a movie, which I think is awesome. It's all the things that we're talking about, Gaspar, that that he does. I've never felt like this after a movie. Mm -hmm. I've never been this upset, emotionally affected, in touch with myself and things that I don't want to deal with. I mean, what can you say? That's art. That's Mm -hmm. a testament to a true, true artist. Now, like we said from our Gaspar episode... These movies are not for everyone. Right. I could probably say with 100% certainty, I will never see this movie again. Maybe I will. Maybe, I mean, who's to say? Never say never. But that was where this movie took me. And I'm glad I went through that. And I'm glad that this is a part of his filmography. We knew this was going to be intense. We didn't know how far he was going to push it. I had a sneaking suspicion that he was going to push the emotional brutality of it. And boy, oh boy, that is what he did. This isn't something that has anything as physically assaulting as you're going to see in Irreversible. That is not the exercise. The exercise is you're going to watch two people wither away. Yeah. And two people that don't have anyone else who barely have each other. And, you know... I was really curious as to what, because I saw this a day before you, so I was curious to what your reaction was going to be, because I know, you know, some of your trigger points, and we all have our different stuff in life, and it was it was a very interesting experience for me watching this, because I was kind of paying attention to the crowd. There were some poor folks who just, like, I guess liked the poster, or they just wanted to see the oh, new movie no. this week, and the E Street Cinema attracts a largely older crowd, because it's a fully independent movie house. And there was only one walkout. He was an older gentleman with a cane, but I think it it was just too much. It was way too much for people. And hmm, fuck it, I'll go here. So hmm, there's a death scene in this movie. And because the whole movie's split screen, the way that the character dies is that there's just a slow fade away, like a nice, it's not even to white. And I'm not trying to spoil anything, but it's just a slow, slow fade away. And I watched my mother die right in front of me. I watched her draw her last breath and then exhale her last breath. And then you just sit there and it's so quiet and you turn off the machines and you turn everything off and it's so still and so quiet. And in that like 60 seconds, whatever you want to call it, but I saw like just a fade go literally the color from her face. Literally, I could feel her skin getting colder by the second. And you just I just saw it fade, fade, fade. And I've never seen what I felt portrayed in a way that I could express on film until now. And I fucking leaned forward and I started nodding in appreciation. And I just kept saying like, thank you over and over in my head. And I appreciated this so much because Gaspar watched his mother die. As well, he also filmed it with a 3D camera. That's a bridge up from me, but (laughs) I relish the opportunity to engage with art in that way. Now, now, we said this a lot on the Gas Bar Pod. I don't want to see every movie like this. Far from it. But I like that one person knew how to express what I went through in the exact way that it felt for me, even though I've never met him and never been able to put it into words. And I think there are a lot of people who are going to feel that way. Some people may be incredibly turned off by this. Like you, it just might be too much. Like, hey, this is too much for me. Any film in Gaspar in a ways filmography, it's okay if it's too much for you. If you tap out, can't do it, couldn't do it. You know, you did it once in 2022. Maybe you'll do it again. I don't know. But it's all fair. To me, I just sat in such fond appreciation for what he was doing. Most everyone was crying and I wasn't crying. I was just sitting in such like a, a still place. And then, you know, I had to go to the parking garage and I'm like, oh, that's going to be a whole thing. So then I just like walked around the city a little bit. And then when I got in my car, I sent a few like really intense text messages to a few people close to me, you included. And then I just lost it. And I started like bawling. And all the text messages were just describing how important these people are to me in my life. And it was like, the same way you had to go out and be around joy and Mm -hmm. fun and happiness, I had to let the people in my life know like immediately, this is what you mean to me. This is why you mean that to me. Love you. And that's because of this movie. And that's just like, 
that's really powerful. You're never going to watch this movie again. I'll bet you with 100% probability, there's no way I'm seeing a better movie this year than this. There's absolutely no way. I'm not in a rush to rewatch it. I will rewatch it because I'm just going to, I'm going to watch it again and focus entirely on the right side of the screen than entirely on the left. I mean, I'm nuts, but it, you know, that's a grand statement because we have Scorsese coming out later in the year. We obviously have Top Gun 2. <laughs> but seriously, like, I don't know. I won't find a more emotionally affecting film this year. There's not a chance. There's not a chance. I may see something more entertaining. Sure. I'm sure I will. Maverick is going to be more entertaining than Vortex. <laughs> don't get it twisted. But I think this was a deeply, deeply important film, I think, for a specific type of person when you look at Gaspar's entire filmography, this could be accessible. I'm using that word very, very carefully, but because there is no grotesque violence against other people of a physical nature, this is a very emotionally violent film. I recommend this wholeheartedly, but with reservations, as I do with the rest of his work, Climax is fun. Parts of Enter the Void are fun. None of Vortex is fun, virtually none, but it is important. It, it is important, and I think the, the best word to describe it is effective, mm -hmm. because with that scene that you were talking about, I have never seen through film, through the art form, through the medium of film, that moment so effectively done. The fade the, you're talking the about. The fade, yep. Yeah, I mean, and, it, it really knocked the wind out of me. And not only that, it also is because of the split screen. Exactly. That is why. Yes. That yes. is why. And and that's the thing is like this has never been done before. And to go through a narrative story with the split screen like this, you will never achieve that moment mm -hmm. with it, you would still if that was in the full frame, you would absolutely have a moment with that. But because of the split screen. It just adds something else that well, because we're is watching someone. Genius. Yeah, we're watching that person die, but then on the other side of the screen, we're watching life goes on. Life goes on, but they don't even know that this person's dying. Yes, yet, and it's their loved one. So it's yeah, that that juxtaposition is like, oh my god, and we're just we're fading out here. But yep. yeah, life keeps on a trucking on the other side, and that's what happens in life. You lose and that's people what close to you, and you have to make a decision. Do mm, I don't like speaking generally. I had to make a decision. Do I want my trauma to define me? And I went, no. My father made the same decision when he lost his oldest son to suicide. Am I going to let this trauma define me? No. So that's why, again, I'm not rushing out to rewatch Vortex. It's not going to be one that is put on nearly as much as Climax. I mean, you know, I might tap out on this one after a couple more viewings, but wow, I just really, really appreciate someone else who's locked into that that pain and that horror and going, yeah, here, this is what it is. Like, this is what yep. it looks like. I've had relatives pass away from dementia. I've had friends whose parents or grandparents have passed away from that. I've, you know, sat and spent time with people with dementia. This is uh, just so shockingly real. We're going to get to the actors, but th there was, n I didn't see any acting in this movie ever. No. Ever. It was like it was like cameras were just following them around this apartment. Yeah. So wow. I think when you said like there's not going to be a better movie made this year in this way, I don't think there will ever be a movie this year that will be able to touch the emotional effectiveness through the art of film than this movie. Yeah. Take that well for said. how you will. Mm -hmm. I do want to like Ed before we transition into the actors. Because I had such a hard time with this movie, I do want to talk about my absolute favorite part of the movie. Yeah, go, yeah, do it. Because then after that, I'm going to talk about how the hell they made this thing. <laughs> and then we'll get to the actors. The only thing that I like to think about now with this movie is when the movie first starts, there's a beautiful, beautiful song oh. being sung by an extreme close up of like the most beautiful face I've ever seen yeah. with this <laughs> most like beautiful voice and the lyrics you, you read and the subtitles. I just absolutely fell in love with that whole moment. It's beautiful. It's a lullaby. Yeah, you're taking a yeah. nice slow elevator ride down to, to the darkness, but we can start. Yep. Even their first scene in the film is one of quick whimsy and joy and, mm -hmm. you know, dreams and such. But how did they make this? Why did they make this? According to Gaspar, he was... It was pitched to him by producers to do a cheap movie 
with two or three characters in a single location because a lot of directors are doing these kinds of movies during COVID. So he comes up with this idea that he had had largely because of his mother passing and because of this brain hemorrhage he had. He wants to make Vortex. He gets his dream cast and he shoots for a few days without fully committed to the split screen idea. He doesn't know if they're going to do that. And then they decide after a few days, no, I'm committed to this throughout. So we have to go back and either reshoot the stuff we already did or pick up the other actors coverage and match that perfectly. And Noe said he loved the playfulness of the split screen because it gave him so many decisions in editing and post-production. I like playing with the language. There are many directors who play with the language. One of my favorite quotes from him. And when you start watching this, Early into the split screens, the way he starts the split screen is so cool. I just kept nodding my head in appreciation. Like it doesn't just boom, it's there. It like it's a slow progression into the beginning of the split screen. And I wondered, similarly to like we were saying for Lux Eterna, is how confusing is this gonna be? How much am I really gonna have to like look here, look here? Oh God. And we have to read subtitles. Don't, you know, yeah, yeah. You American audiences do, you know, we don't speak French. So I'm like, okay, is this gonna be too tough? And it never was. After like never. 10 minutes, I got used to it. And then I went, oh, okay, he's doing gentle pass-offs here to where I'm not saying it's never unimportant to look at one side of the screen, but there is focus and intention often put on one side. Sometimes there's stuff going on. It's really cool when the cameras are almost overlapping and they're like reach into the other frame and grab stuff, but it's not gimmicky. It just, it is so effective. It works so damn well. And I absolutely loved the exercise of watching it and the engaging aspect of watching it. And I will say when he decides to not use split screen, it's very effective. Yeah, there there's nothing about this movie at any point technical or emotional that is not being effective i know i would love to be on one of his sets so so much because for instance none of this dialogue is written Mm -hmm. they're making it up it's all improvised there's an outline like a three-page outline they may have certain things that they have to say you know like characters in irreversible they had to say this guy the butcher has to say time destroys all things or that animal quote we kept throwing around that pierre says animals don't even act out of revenge that's a line that they fed to him but so beyond dario argento and francoise lebrun making up their own dialogue as they go Gaspar has been very open in saying, you don't direct Dario Argento. And, you know, we should say this is one of the most famous Italian directors of all time, probably most notably for directing the original Suspiria. But he's done a number of really good classics, Deep Red, Inferno, Phenomenina, starring a very young Jennifer Connelly. I mean, he's nuts. And he's never had a major acting performance. Never. He's done cameos in his movies or other movies. This is his first major acting role at 88 years old. And he's directing himself, essentially. Gaspar goes, okay, here's like, here's your situation. Here's the scene. Here's where you have to sit. But however, like, I'm not going to tell you that that kid's going to start playing with trucks like kids do. You have to decide how you react to that. And then you have to, it's just, it's fascinating. Like, he doesn't tell you when to light a cigarette. Gaspar doesn't. You go for it. That's what you're going to do and sit here. Do. It's so incredible when you understand that, that this is not lines they're memorizing. This isn't blocking they're memorizing. It's fucking nuts. It's just, it's so inspiring (laughs) on an artistic level. Francoise Lebrun, uh, I've seen The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, Julie and Julia, The Nun. I do not remember her in those. She is the star of this notorious French film from 1973, The Mother and the Whore. That's one of Gaspar's favorite films because, of course, it is. It's nearly four hours long, and I've never been able to track it down. It's not available anywhere. I'll get there. But, I, I mean, what she does in this movie is so incredible. You know, it's not we've seen movies where this happens. I think the biggest comparison that Vortex is getting is probably a more by Michael Haneke because that's a movie about an older couple. The woman has a stroke and the man is desperately trying to take care of her, but he can't handle it. It's too much. They have an adult child. She has her stuff a little bit more together than the kid Alex Lutz in this movie. But I just I want to give it up for her because I thought she was totally spellbinding it was uh she was so good yeah everyone was everyone was you know we waited till like the hour 45 minute mark in the gas bar in away podcast to mention what he does with credits <laughs> which is funny oh, yeah. because his credits are so so impactful and so important 
This one, they're very muted. You know, he's got his same font. He's got the extra bold, condensed Futura, same as Kubrick on a lot of films. What I want to say about Noe's credits, because a lot of foreign films have their credits before the movie. America often has them after the movie, and they go on. Now they go on for 10, 12 minutes sometimes. It's just, it's too much. Noe puts his credits at the beginning of his films, as he does with Vortex. Now, as mentioned with Lux Eterna, Every Gaspar Noé movie takes a while to end on purpose. There's a long crane shot where you're just resting and listening to all this inner monologue and I stand alone. There's the techno crane shot in Irreversible. There's Enter the Void. That's all I'm going to say. There's just, (laughs) he takes a while to end. I don't even want to say how Vortex takes a while to unwind. It's very, very poignant and very absolutely beautiful in its own Gaspar way. But if you see this movie in the theater, for the love of God, sit in those final minutes because they're going to be going on. Don't be like, it, it's, well, why is the movie taking a while to end? Use those as your end credits because the second you see the last frame of film, the house lights are turning on. And yes, as soon as that happens, people are going to be walking. I mean, people after Vortex looked like drunk. They were walking out in a daze like, uh, oh, there's no end credits. Like, I, uh, uh, okay, I just leave. It was so... You know, leaving when, like, all the lights come up. We're used to leaving in the theater in the dark. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. And if it's something like this, which a lot of people were very affected by and they were clearly crying, it's, you know, some people are, like, covering their face. They got these red faces. It's just, it's intense. But enjoy those, you know, enjoy Gaspar just holding your hand out as you leave his world. I sat there for, I don't even know how long. I, I, I like, there was, there. I've never had more of a dreadful moment emotionally after the house lights came up on the theater i was just like no no i don't i can't i can't move i can't get up i can't i can't face these steps i have to walk down (laughs) this is a really i've always wanted to do a whole episode on this like what are some great movies that you've seen once we could say you know once or twice that you never want to watch again but that you fully endorse that you would like stand behind that you that's gonna make your top 10 top five of the year but you're like that was just too assaulting for me to sit through again this is clearly gonna make your list but it is a cool you know it's a cool idea i don't most movies i won't watch again or because i just didn't get anything out of them whether they're boring whether they're gross whether they're grotesque on purpose shocking i can handle most anything but i'm like okay i don't need to watch that again um the human centipede like i got it okay i got it yeah, it yeah I, totally. I get you totally. once is fine like i'm not gonna rewatch that one but there are some you know i already talked about how i contradicted myself by saying the first time i saw irreversible and antichrist i went i really appreciate those for what they are but i don't want to do that to myself again and then you know now here we are potting about one of them extensively <laughs> so <laughs> let's move on to our Gaspar rankings here this is going to be quick because we already did it we did it at the, at the end of the Gaspar podcast here's i kind of have an idea where you're going to go here were yours five enter the void four i stand alone three irreversible Two, love, one, climax. Mine, five, I stand alone. Four, enter the void. Three, climax. Two, love, one, irreversible. I'm a psycho. Where's Vortex fitting in your world? So now that we've got six. Yes. Vortex will take the number five spot. Really? I thought it would be dead last for you, given your reaction. No, I'll never watch it again. But like, <laughs> well, yeah, like as, as I say that. Um, but the thing is, is like, and 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 I want to say this too is I do recommend this movie. I just, I I just cannot like say enough. Go into it without fear and without um have have space for appreciation mm-hmm. because that's what I did. Like when I wanted to leave, everything that I wanted to leave emotionally with, I was like. No, let me just appreciate what this movie is doing and what it is. And yeah. because of that, it was so powerful and effective that in a lot of ways, I think it might be one of his, if not his most well-done film. But because of my experience with it, yeah, it, it'll it'll get the number five. It'll, so mine will go Enter the Void, Vortex, I Stand Alone, Irreversible, Love, Climax. 
Those are great rankings. And it's funny because Vortex is actually my five as well. I put it oh, so nice. I stand alone is six and then Vortex five and then the rest enter the void, climax, love, irreversible. And I totally understand what you're saying that you do appreciate this movie and you are recommending it, but recommending it with caution. I'm recommending irreversible, not to every single person in the world, not to every single person listening to this podcast. I hope if you haven't seen it and we made you interested in seeing it, I hope we've also let you know what you are getting into. I think we've, you know, <laughs> bridged that gap and we're not just underselling these. We've talked pretty openly about what all these are about, different levels of appreciation for them. I also think that this could end up being his best reviewed film. I don't know if it's his like number one on Rotten Tomatoes right now, but we're getting really good reviews for a Gaspar movie in real time, which he isn't used to. You know, a lot of people find these movies later and I don't know. I'll be interested to see what happens with this as the year goes on. I'll be interested to see if it pops up. I'm not talking about Oscars, but you know, will it be submitted as France's foreign film submission. I doubt it, but I mean, they submitted Titan last year. Jesus. I don't know. Will this be, will we see this pop up other places? You know, will this get a great American Blu-ray release treatment with a Gaspar commentary that everyone can listen to? Or am I going to have to buy yet another region B Blu-ray for it? <laughs> Time will that, tell. Okay. That's what I'll say. I Here will he goes. I knew it. Ever, I, I, I was going to set only, you up. If he does I a will, commentary oh. for it, you have to watch it. I will only watch this movie again with the commentary. That Which is means it. I'm going to spend the next year downloading Gaspar interviews from YouTube and making my own commentary for it so that you have to watch it again. Well, that, you just have to watch it because that'd be some fucking tough work. Well, the thing is, is like because with the commentary, there's a separation. I can well, remove yeah. myself and, and maybe I need that. Maybe I need to see that this is just a movie. <laughs> no, you have to. It's That's what helped me engage with Irreversible so much more because he's saying that the whole time he's talking about it like a director who's seen this movie like hundreds of times because he made it. He's not talking about it with any sort of shock value. It's just yeah. very, very calm, very happy. Oh, here's how we did this. But wow, Lux Eterna, Vortex, two more heavy hitters from Gaspar in a way. I, with the popularity of Vortex, I do not want him to stop. You know, sometimes it's like seven years between Gaspar movies. Sometimes it's not long at all. He has said he did split screen and he's done with it. He said he's going to find a new game to play in it, You know, he, he does like, like different that. games. I do too. He's like, I, I did it. It's cool. But what will he think of next? I just, uh, there's no director. Uh, there's very few directors. I'll say whose films I look out, look forward to more than this. Yeah. So, but I do think that it's a smart idea is in terms of like a complete narrative storytelling device leave it for vortex yeah you already nailed it dude like you, you yeah did it. It, you're not going to improve on that <laughs> right it's a championship season there's no you don't even yeah. want it back <laughs> all right here we go we move on to what are you watching wow that was fun um i'm looking at a few pre-written notes so i promise i'm not i'm not tagging on here i've just happened just so happened to talk about this movie a lot in this podcast because of your prompts i'm gonna go first this week because i don't want to hear you cry Ugh. Antichrist, 2009, <laughs> directed by Lars von Trier. It's the perfect movie to recommend in tandem with any Gaspar movie. I already said so much, but there are a few people out there who consider this von Trier's best. Whoa, that's tough. I would definitely say it's his meanest and most nihilistic. The movie stars only two people, Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg. This could be her best performance. Honestly, she gets to a really rare place in this. And they play a couple who retreat to their isolated cabin in the woods after experiencing a terrible tragedy, to say the least. You can attempt to guess where this film goes, as you can with Gaspar's movies, but you have no fucking idea. Antichrist goes there and then some, and it as it is as brutal and nasty some of its scenes as movies get, but but <laughs> it also contains one of the frankest depictions of depression that I've ever seen, and one of the most realistic. Von Trier, as I said, made this film as a way to work through his own crippling depression, and this movie's gorgeous to look at. It is very grim, but it was shot by Anthony Dodd-Mantle the year after winning an Oscar for shooting Slumdog Millionaire, and like Gaspar Noé's movies, Antichrist is unlike anything you've ever seen. It's Bergman and Tarkovsky with the gloves off, with no ratings board, with free reign, Chaos reigns, indeed, Antichrist. 
I like that Bergman and Tarkovsky with the gloves off. That's, that's yeah. a great. That's a great way to put it. It would have been cool to see them. Part of what makes them so great is because of the restraints they had to work with and what they got away with and what they managed to break through despite those restraints. But imagining those people living in you know an unrated movie world where you know Bergman, you can put your next movie on Blu-ray straight. It's just unrated. Who cares? That would have been something. Who knows what they could have come up with. I wish Michael Haneke would make more movies for this reason. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to continue the, uh, the French cinema recommendations here. Nice. And honestly, it's, it's funny way I saw this movie because I won't say the name of the movie that I saw first. I went to theaters to see one movie that I just truly did not enjoy. And not in the same way I didn't enjoy Vortex. And so uh, I looked at what else was playing. And then there was this one hour and 12 minute French movie by the director of The Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Celine Siama, called the movie was called Petite Mama. And I was like, huh, an hour and 12 minutes. I don't know why, but that actually enticed me to see it because yeah. I was like, I want to see what it very, it kind of like Lux Eterna, 50 minutes. We're only right, talking about right. a 20 minute difference. And I sat down and for one hour and 12 minutes, I was brought into one of the most simple and beautiful, and I mean this with all like best words, little stories I've ever seen. And I, I don't even think that's a bad word to use because petite mama, little mom. Like the cinematography was gorgeous and it's simple. Like they are not like, like the camera's not doing a lot of movement. It, they're, they're pretty much long takes. Camera just sets itself up, lets the scene play out right then and there, and it's everything is gorgeous. It and but the the way that this story unfolds is just it's it's just beautiful. I I, I say this a lot with certain movies that it's a poem, mm -hmm. but this is one that is. It, it's mm -hmm. it's a one hour and twelve minute poem from that it's very you can tell it's a very personal story from this director to her mom. And it's it's just lovely. It's a complete lovely, lovely movie. Highly recommend it. I don't know. It, it's still in theaters in L.A. in certain little indie theaters, but I don't think it's probably going to stay very long. And I don't know what the future of it's going to be for streaming. I'm so glad you recommended this. So, wow, this is this is an emotional day of podcasting. This <laughs> is, by my definition, a perfect film. This is a 72-minute-long, perfect film. It is exactly what I want out of a movie. Not out of every movie. This isn't... I just so appreciated what this movie was doing for its story. It's so unique. It's so lived in. And you go along with its journey and you believe it the entire time. And I loved everything about it. I love this movie so much, in fact, that we are absolutely going to do a mini episode on this. It will be one of the next few episodes, maybe not the direct next one, but we have to talk about this more because this movie deserves, it deserves a deep dive, but we also want to encourage as many people as possible to see this. You made a good point about streaming. This movie's only in one or two theaters in the Washington, D.C. area, including E Street, which I've mentioned, but the studio, Neon, appears to have an exclusive streaming right with Hulu. There are a lot of very popular Neon movies that are still on Hulu, such as Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Parasite. So I am confident that this film will land on Hulu eventually, and whenever that is, we will be there to pot about it. Even if we pot about it before it comes on Hulu, we have to do our part to get this movie in the conscious because it's just, Jesus, it was so, so good. I'm, I'm holding a lot back because I don't want to say a lot. Cinematography. Claire Mathon is the DP. The cinematography in Portrait of a Lady on Fire was one of my favorite aspects of that movie. They shot it in 8K. They had so much range to play with color. That's why her pastels look so different because they're they're working with this really huge color space. Petit Mama has the same thing. The colors are 
it, they're like these beautiful pastels and the cinematography of these movies are as important as any other aspect. She's a great DP. I mentioned her in the Spencer mini-sode because she shot Spencer and Stranger by the Lake, which is a great movie as well. A great DP. Stay tuned for more what-are-you-watching insights on Petite Mama, though, for sure. Or if you do see it in theaters and you don't want to feel like you've spent like, oh, I've spent only a, like a bunch of money on a one-hour, 12-minute movie, do what I did. See, it's a double feature. Right, Kind of exactly. feels like you get your money's worth. There you go. Anyone, if you're venturing out to Vortex in the theater, let us know what you thought <laughs> at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. We did it. But as always, thank you so much for listening and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at what are you watching podcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WAYW underscore podcast. You know what movie we both loved? Top Gun Maverick. So next time it's all about Maverick and Tom Cruise's 40 year career. Stay tuned. I went to theaters to see one movie that I just truly did not enjoy and <laughs> not in the same way I didn't enjoy Vortex. No, you thought just, it was just a bad... I just thought it was a bad movie. A bad, so, unfunny movie starring Nicolas Cage as himself. Keep going. So, oh, my God. <laughs> I won't include it. I won't. Include so, it. Yes, I will. So... <laughs>